0: If people are listening to this, it means that Spencer, a.k.a. Free For All, has reached his 101st episode. I wanted to mark this occasion because all the cool kids are congratulating people on their 101st episodes and it's nothing to do with the fact that I missed out on 100. Banish that from your mind. 101 is where it's at. Congratulations Spencer mate, it's no mean feat and I look forward to a long and productive podcasting career for you.
1: (laughs) What's that?
0: (laughs) Oh boy, I'm going to get out of this message before it gets any worse.
1: was slinging puns at a B&B when he had an epiphany and think a part in about time too, about not playing the and it was free through all and I heard him say he off my borderlands but just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable
2: Thank you Mr TJ Drennan, welcome to episode 101 of Keep Off The Borderlands. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, PDF Holder, RPG Player and Aspiring GM. Opening the show there, you heard the legend that is Colin Spike Pit Green. And thank you for that wonderful message, Colin. I wanted to talk a little bit about my evolution as a player, my experiences, and perhaps some changes in the way I've thought. As I have a few messages following on from last week that touch on that subject.
3: Hey, Spencer Jason here. Enjoyed your 100th episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm more and more of the idea that you don't need to have a fear mechanic in a game, to be honest, especially a one-shot. If if you're doing an extended game and you want to, you know, do a sandy track and, and have people have insanities and, you know, different things and have long-term effects of that that they're going to role-play throughout multiple sessions, I can definitely see that. But in a one-shot, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think you don't need mechanics for that. I think you can just... Like you say, trust your players and roll with it. You're only there for a couple hours anyway. Anyhow, enjoyed your 100th episode. I hope everything's going well. We'll talk to you later.
2: Hey, Jason. Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And um, thank you very much for the congratulations. Yeah, it sounds like um, I think you'd already made up your mind with the old fear mechanic there. I think there is a place for it. But I guess, personally, I don't really feel strongly either way. I do lean towards having less rules, or at least unified rules. I do shy away from adding on different mechanics. It all comes down to what works best at the end of the day. And um, yeah, I hope you're okay, man. I know things are getting a little bit tough at the moment and um just uh best of luck with things going forward and hopefully we can see a bit of light at the end of this tunnel thanks for the call take care man
0: congratulations on the century i'm really really chuffed that you've been going a year you know 100 episodes awesome stuff and you know what i really do look forward to your episode spencer every single time they're entertaining. Even when I think they might not be, they are. Um, you're just so inventive, so creative. And I really, really appreciate everything that you do on your podcast. And even though I know it gets hard at times and, uh, you know, creativity is a fickle thing. i just so grateful that you do it. Um, who'd have thought that a game about... A game about? A podcast about not playing games, you know, would be... So incredibly entertaining. Game on, man.
2: Jay Webster there from Roleplay Rescue, which is arguably one of the podcasts that actually caused me to put out my own podcast and got me to the table. Well, not the table. Got me to the virtual table. <laughs> um, but I really, really appreciate that message. Thank you for your kind words. And... Um, Although you say you always enjoy my episodes, even when you think you aren't going to, I'm not sure I understand. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm glad to hear I subvert your expectations there. And um, thank you for taking the time to listen to me. And I don't know if you've been listening recently, but um, the days of me not playing RPGs are thankfully long gone, but yes, that's how it all started out, and um, and a big thank you for creating Roleplay Rescue, which has aided me on that journey. Thank you, Che.
3: Now, what sort of game could Spencer be running? OSR, D and D. No, I'm just kidding, mate. We all know you're loving those Electric Bastion Lands rules at the minute. It's John here from Red Dice Diaries. I just wanted to call in and give you a quick congratulations on reaching your 100th episode. I've just been listening to it and very much enjoying it. May there be many, many more
2: in the future.
3: Anyway, that's all I wanted to say, dude. Keep up the good work, stay safe, and I'll catch you soon. Take care.
2: John Allen Lodge there from RDD RPG and thank you very much for that message John. Thank you for the encouragement going forward. I don't think there's any real danger of me quitting this anytime soon. I've certainly been enjoying your revamped show with a lot more Hannah on the mic too which is great and looking forward to your episodes where you'll be sharing gaming ideas from movies that you're watching. I very much look forward to that, and um, yeah, there's a little bit of that in this episode coming up. Thanks for your message. Just finished watching 1917, and wow. Wow. I just had to record something because well I was gonna say it's a real roller coaster ride, but that feels a bit like I'm trivializing it because uh it's quite a moving experience. Yeah, for anyone that's unfamiliar with the story, it's about two soldiers who get sent across no man's land beyond the enemy lines to get a message to another battalion who are planning an attack. And uh, Intel suggests that they're heading into a trap. So in order to save 16,000 men or something, these two guys go on this, well, I was going to say, it's adventure's the wrong word, an incredible journey. And like I say, I, I feel like I'm trivializing it, but... I guess looking at it from a filmic point of view just the way that it's it keeps up the tension the pacing the set pieces there's so much in there that could be used in a gaming context they're traversing wasteland they're wandering into trenches and tunnels there's booby traps there's bizarre encounters there's just a lot there that would lend itself to a gaming session and um, I just felt like uh, I had to share that with you. That's 1917 from 2019, directed by Sam Mendes. Lots of interesting stuff going on in there and, uh, well, it's it's well worth watching. Anyway, really, really impressive film.
4: Hey, Spencer, it's me. I'm just calling you to see how you're doing. This is a 101-episode message. It's it's the Dalmatian message. I just wanted to say that I think the, uh, the propaganda monkeys is great. And I just think that uh, if you're starting out, then it's really good to do single sessions, just one at a time, pam, 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 that's all you need, don't worry about anything bigger, but the last thing I want to do, you know, it's not all about pam, 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 it's also about maths, I've been doing the maths, and by my calculations, you haven't played osseus, have you? Then I think we should play it, just quiet, like, just quiet, play that, Hey Spencer, you also uh, seem like a nice guy, a charitable guy, open-hearted kind of guy. I'm uh, I'm starting an El Paso alpaca a cappella charity, and I was just uh, wondering if you wanted to uh, be a donor.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Was that Brandon Marlowe? <laughs> Obviously, Mr. Barney Dicker there from Loco Ludus. And yes, yeah, thanks for the tip there. I'm thinking about, yeah, one-shots. I'm not trying to uh, come up with big campaign arcs or anything at this stage. Just looking for maybe a few little one-page dungeons, perhaps, or just... uh, doing what you do and flying by the seat of my pants, just <laughs> throwing things in on the fly. Um, it's always great fun. And Into the Odd, Electric Bastion Land certainly seems to encourage that kind of play. So, um, yeah, maybe just have a hat full of random ideas by my side. <laughs> and Osseus... Um, yeah, uh, although I had fun putting those rules together, I you could probably tell I haven't tested it. I might play around with that, perhaps, but um, I'd rather kick off with some well-tested rules that I can rely on. And the monkey idea, yes, propaganda monkeys. Why am I not surprised you are a fan of that one? yeah as for the el paso alpaca acapella charity uh yeah just <laughs> just tell me where to send the money dude <laughs> thank you very much for that
3: spencer evil Jeff. so i grabbed a hold of the minions quite forcibly and sat them down and we actually sat and watched alice in the extraordinary world um it was good. Um, they enjoyed it. Um, I was a little put off with the animation because I wasn't, you know, you said it's too and, you know, thinking quality and some of the things you get there. And unfortunately, my mind went to that style of drawing, whereas once I started seeing what was going on, saw that it was the Canadian, French, Brussels... Thing and it was a very, uh, I want to say, what, European centric drawing style? I don't don't know, 1900s style? So I was a little put off there, um, but story wise, you know, rather interesting. I, I did like it. If I had to complain really about one thing about it, it was that it was very heavy handed with saying, you know, just making it obvious what was going to happen you know it was just it was just very plain it's like certain things is said oh okay now we know what's going to happen some character makes a comment oh the exact opposite is going to happen you know it it was just very heavy handed that way Um, and they could have been a little bit more subtle so yeah but overall it was enjoyable so good cash there
2: Hey, Evil Jeff. Evil Jeff from Minions and Musings there. And um, I'm glad that you got the Minions and sat down to watch April and the Extraordinary World. Um, Apologies if I gave you the impression it was an anime style animation. Personally, I didn't have any issue with the animation and the style, I suppose, is akin to uh, the Tintin stories. I don't know if you're familiar with those. I certainly enjoyed the animation, and maybe it didn't have the subtlety, story-wise, of the Studio Ghibli stuff. It did kind of uh, wear its themes on its sleeve, as it were. But um, I thought there was still a lot of inventiveness there, regards the world-building, and uh, I guess that's what I enjoyed most about it. And it's, you know, it's nice to stumble across something I've not heard anything about. And uh, yeah, I was quite surprised. But I'm glad you got something out of watching it anyway. Thanks for your message. Hey,
1: Spencer Royer. The Confessions of Salty Spencer just uh, really shocked me. Not shocked in an angry way, but shocked in a examine your preconceptions way. Anyway, it's certainly going to bear a second listening after I've had some time to let it sink in. Really made me question some of the assumptions I had about the game I love. Made me rethink some of my design ideas for the game I'm working on. Like I say, certainly bears a second listening.
2: Roy from Chaos's Limb there. Thank you, Roy. And I have to say, I was quite taken aback by that message. Um, for anyone who hasn't listened to the episode that Roy's referring to, I went back to a, a brief feature that I was toying with called Controversy Corner. And it was more of a confessional about the fact that I didn't really click with D&D. And... Before you go rethinking anything regarding your rules, Roy, please bear in mind it was me making assumptions about the game. I have no real history with D&D. My only real encounter with it back in the day was one session of Mensa Red Box with a friend and his younger sister, who were both far more into the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon than I was, and um, that was my one and only session, and I never went back for more. In that episode, I talk about all the little quirky things, the things i found unintuitive, things like hit dice, how armor class works, attack matrices, different XP rates for different classes and races and all things that I perceived as inconsistencies and how many of these things remained in the OSR but out of context of the original game and how I favoured games like Into the Odd and Knave that completely abandoned all the little subsystems and stuff in favour of like a, a unified central mechanic. And since that episode, my opinion has shifted somewhat. Dave Aldridge has been running a Dark Sun game using the Swords and Wizardry continual light rules. And while that does remove a lot of the more, I suppose, finicky things, from original D&D, really strips it back and simplifies stuff. I felt while playing with those rules, there's a certain degree of intuitiveness to actually playing the game that wasn't really apparent to me on the page, even when looking at swords and wizardry, continual light, I felt, as stripped back as it was, I still felt it had these kind of artifacts left there that I never really understood why they were there, why they'd been preserved. But playing with those rules, but playing with those rules, it just all clicked and fit together in a way that I didn't anticipate. So my position there has shifted somewhat. So please don't go rewriting your your rules based on that episode, Roy, okay? Just please bear that in mind. But, I mean, if it causes you to reassess things and question things, I'm all for that. Just please bear what I've said in mind here. Thank you very much for that message, Roy, and... Um, I've got a few more from Roy.
1: Hey Spencer, hope you're doing well. If I can jump on the dead elf flogging bandwagon, I'll add one more option. In the zero edition version of the retro clone I'm working on, I add another option for how to deal with character death. At the DM's option you can have them roll a save against death And if they make the save, they are captured rather than killed. So knocked unconscious or bound and carried away. So how might this work in the example of your Athasian elf? Instead of just being killed by the hornets, he might have been paralyzed by them and taken away to their lair to feed to their children Makes for some other interesting story options, I think. Though all of the options presented by the other call-ins are certainly valid, Uh, each one provides kind of its own unique experience. This one was meant to model more the pulp uh, roots where the hero, you know, is never killed, but we often see them bound or captured and later have to try to make an escape. Or in this case, maybe their friends can help them escape, which is something that almost never happens in a D&D game, right? Everybody wants to fight to the last possible hit point. They always think, well, there's always the possibility that luck is going to be with me and I'm going to make it out of this one. You never see characters surrendering, uh, and so you kind of miss out on that option.
2: That's an interesting observation there, Roy. I mean, quite often in fiction, you do see people being captured rather than being killed, which obviously lends to further adventuring. And uh, yes, it is an interesting alternative to just straight out death, obviously creating more potential hooks. But the fault of my elf being paralysed and dragged off by some giant hornets and being fed to their larvae, well, frankly, I'm glad he died where he did. So thank you for encouraging me to put a more positive spin on my character, Death. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Roy. And just one more thing on the, well, let's be honest. There's never just one more thing. But on the subject of character death, I don't know if any of you listen to the Blogs on Tape podcast. There haven't been any episodes for a few months now, but in the last few days, about five or six episodes have popped up, and there's an extremely insightful one on the subject of uh, the lethality of old-school D&D. And he made some really, really interesting points. If you'd rather look up the actual blog that's being read, uh, it's entitled Thoughts Regarding Character Mortality and Old School Dungeons and Dragons. And the blog is called Dungeon of Signs. Really interesting read. Um, I got a series of messages from Menyon, also known as rob from confessions of a wee timorous bushy just um reflecting on different styles of play and um following on from the comments um from the episode i did about acting versus role play take it away rob
0: hey spencer it's minion congrats on your 100th Episode well done. Amazing stuff here. Eh? So um just a quick point on the uh on role playing and uh and acting. Um I'll try not to sound too too judgmental. Obviously everybody plays the game as they see fit, but I, I do think it's important to remember though it is a game <clears throat> that we're playing and the game has certain rules which revolve around dice and numbers and uh, pencil marks on paper. so And depending on the system, obviously, there'll be more of that that sort of works its way into play and uh, sometimes gets in the way of play. And naturally the same can be said of character backgrounds or um, role-playing or shall we say acting within the game. So, the increase in the in work on the character one individual character's background or one individual character's um, role playing then um tends to take up more time of the whole play, so it may ellipse other people's um stories and also may ellipse the the uh, the actual core foundation of the rules so I think striking a balance between all three of those things and uh, trying to, um, trying to get them all to work together is what's needed. Naturally, this is a matter of individual style, but personally, um, I like, I tend to sort of go between all three, I guess. So I'll, 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 I'll Uh, More specifically, I guess I I move between first person and uh, second or third person, uh, depending on which parts of the game I want to highlight at any given point of play. So where an interaction becomes of um, paramount interest or importance to either myself or other players, we may shift into that mode, um, first person mode. Otherwise, we we may move out, move the focus out, and focus more on the he does. I do this. I do this. I do that. He does this or whatever. Um, oh, of course. One second. And of course, at other moments, you're you're focusing more on the rules. So I don't think there any of these are mutually mutually exclusive or better than the other. Um, it's more a case of looking at where you want to put the emphasis in play and where other people want to put the emphasis and coming to um consensus a broad consensus and sort of focusing on that type of play so even if it means just rolling numbers then that's what you do at that point <clears throat> don't think you need to get any f- uh, heavier than that um uh yeah you just uh, if if the boss is the is the the big bad at the you know end is the focus then you focus on that and you don't shift the focus away on ephemera that's what I would how I personally would run it
2: thank you rob um first of all thank you for the congratulations much appreciated and um i think you make some interesting points there some interesting observations i agree with you that you know certain situations there's the numbers that are important Sometimes it's elaborating on the action that's important. Sometimes, you know, a bit of frivolous banter is called for. Adopting whatever approach is most appropriate for what's occurring during play. You mentioned about maybe people taking the spotlight in the game, focusing on maybe a particular player is a bit more indulged at the expense of other players I'm I'm picturing somebody who gets really into their character maybe making speeches elaborating on their background and that kind of stuff and obviously maybe the less outspoken players feeling a little sidelined perhaps and um I I, that's not really a, a situation I've encountered as a player but I can imagine that that would happen uh, if you have more extroverted, outspoken player amongst a group of introverts perhaps. That could be problematic. I mean, I wasn't really thinking of role-playing in terms of characters eulogising about their backgrounds and stuff, more adopting a persona during play And I guess I was thinking more of my own evolution as a player. I was quite a tentative player, um, wanting to elaborate more on roles, but find myself slipping into that, oh, I hit the orc with my sword kind of approach, and I do this much damage. And as I've grown in confidence as a player, I do feel I'm more able to elaborate on the action rather than looking to the GM to kind of fill in the blanks, as it were, and narrate the action. And I would hope, you know, I'm doing that as a means of um, contributing more to the proceedings and not at the expense of other players. I know Liren was talking about this in a recent episode of Updates from the Middle of Nowhere, She was talking about sharing the limelight and a good player being inclusive, drawing the other players into what's going on rather than grandstanding. You know, really being aware that you're a team, you're a party, and giving everyone the opportunity to contribute. I think that's what gives rise to the best kind of play of a richer experience i think i'm relaxing a lot more as a player i'm happy playing with people who want to be in the third person who want to just you know roll the dice and be told what that does you know because i was that person too so yeah play how you want but most of all have fun. thank you for those messages, Rob. I wanted to talk a little bit about some recent gaming experiences, some recent sessions I was involved in that have been really, just really great sessions. First, the last session of the Black Hack that Dave Aldridge has been running, we're taking a bit of a hiatus, and I felt that last session was a really rewarding session for me. <laughs> and yeah, and going back to what I was just saying, I hope everybody else got as much out of it as I did, because well, I subsequently found out that Dave was kind of making it up on the fly, which makes the experience even more remarkable because it gave my character a real sense of closure to a recent transformative arc. A few sessions ago, he had this kind of religious experience when he encountered these angelic beings and was conflicted because the item that we were supposed to be retrieving, uh, my character felt this item belonged to these creatures, these beings. And on retrieving the item, taking it back to the faction leader, the person we'd been acting on behalf of, was the head of a vampire cult. And he really came out of that feeling he was on the wrong side with this sort of building sense of righteousness that had come from his revelatory encounter and him wanting to be acting in the name of good. This last session allowed him to confront this vampire cult leader and destroy her and retrieve the item that had been handed over to her. So I mean that was a really wonderful moment for him and the fact that this came out of a situation that Dave was making up without any prep at all. It was just, you know, it couldn't have been a better final session for that character. And I just hope everyone else playing got as much out of that as I did. I know we lost a character in that situation. And another member of the party now seems to have crossed a line where they have inherited the position of the leader that my character vanquished. Yeah, so big stuff went down. Then I had another session of the Dark Sun Continual Light that Dave is also running. And uh, yeah, I've really been enjoying that. Dark Sun is a really interesting setting. no, you know, it's funny, we don't, Know much about the world, but there's this real sense that we are caught up in something much greater than ourselves with um, sort of levels of intrigue and these kind of slaves preparing to revolt. And there's a sense that there's something else going on beyond that as well. We are playing more cautiously. We do seem to be working very. Effectively as a team. And that that is really good. So really looking forward to where that's heading. And then I had a session. A bit of an impromptu thing. That Barney of Loco Ludus. Uh, he was planning a session of Electric Bastion Land. With his son and uh, a couple of his son's friends. Unfortunately they dropped out. And him and his son Immy. Obviously, still wanted to play something. He asked me if I was available, which I was. And um, Jeff joined us. Um, Jeff uh, played with previously on the Death Robot Jungle session, and this was a, a straight up Electric Bastion setting based on a idea that I'd sort of suggested that Electric Bastion. And into the odd as kind of coexisting, but they were sort of tiered. So into the odd exists as is underneath Electric Bastion. So into the odd still has its kind of Victorian industrial feel, but that is the grimy underbelly, providing the power like it's the sort of the engine room of this opulent. Metropolis and Barney really liked that. And he just came up with this idea on the fly. What, what did he call it? Assault on pillar 13. And basically we were a couple of prisoners and a guard. Me and Jeff our characters were in a cell. Barney's son was man in the guard house and it came under attack Now, this guardhouse was also a gatehouse, an entrance to the upper levels of Bastionland. So it was essentially a tower. We were imprisoned at the bottom, and it was a huge spiral staircase leading up to the city above. And Barney was just kind of riffing, basically. It was just a really fun session and that and Dave's prepless session have really added to my, well, I just, I guess I feel a bit more confident with the prospect of running a game, seeing how both Dave and Barney were able to sort of throw something together and keep the session entertaining in a very improvisational manner. And I'm I just really taken by that idea. It's almost working magic by creating something out of next to nothing. Just sort of spinning gold. There's something quite special about that. Well